We live, we love, we serve. But I want us to look at a passage of scripture. I mean, I don't think I will be. You know, it's okay. I just needed one. Just needed one. Mark 9, Mark 9, verses 33 through 37. I want to read this in the New Revised Standard Version, and then I want to read it in the Message Bible. Mark 9, 33 through 37. Mark 9, 33 through 37. This is the word as it is written in the New Revised Standard Version. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. In the Message Bible, it reads this way. They came to Capernaum when he was safe at home, he asked them, what were you discussing on the road? The silence was deafening. They had been arguing with one another all over who among them was greatest. He sat down and summoned the twelve. So you want first place. Then take the last place. Be the servant of all. He put a child in the middle of the room. Then cradling the little one in his arms, he said, whoever embraces one of these children as I do, embraces me and far more than me, God who sent me. Amen. Come on, beloved, let's pray. God, thank you this morning. Thank you this morning. For God, you see us. God, some of us are grateful that you especially see us in our heavy days. The days, oh God, where we feel the weight at times of the world. Heavy, God, when we feel pressure from all sides. But God, you see us in those moments. God, you remind us that we are already victorious. God, thank you for lifting us in those moments when we feel our weakest. God, thank you for keeping us when we seem our most vulnerable. Thank you, God, for sustaining us, oh God, when we feel alone and weary. God, thank you for reminding us in those moments that we belong to you. We love you, Lord. 
we honor you God because God every now and again we need to be reminded that no weapon formed against us shall prosper God every now and again we need to be reminded that you will stick close to us oh God every now and again we need to be reminded that you will never leave us nor forsake us every now and again oh God we need to be reminded that you are a healer that you are a redeemer that you are still a way maker every now and again oh God we need to be reminded oh God walk with us that you talk with us that you remind us we belong to you so God thank you for reminding us today that along this journey it is critical that we walk by faith and not by sight thank you thank you God this is our prayer in your name we pray. We say amen. Amen. Remain standing. I'm going to read both of those again. Mark 9, 33 through 37 in the NRSV and the message. Then they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the 12, and said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Then the Message Bible, they came to Capernaum when he was safe at home. He asked him, what were you discussing on the road? The silence was deafening. They had been arguing with one another over who among them was greatest. He sat down and summoned the 12. So you want first place, then take the last place. Be servant of all. He put a child in the middle of the room, then cradling the little one in his arms, he said, whoever embraces one of these children as I do embraces me, and far more than me, God who sent me. Amen. Do me a favor this morning. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, neighbor, I want to be great. Come on, turn to the other neighbor and tell them, neighbor, I want to be great. And put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Take your seat. I want to be great. <laughs> we going to see. I want to be great. The gospel of Mark is one of my, well, no, it is my favorite gospel. It is my favorite gospel, well, first, because it's the shortest gospel. It was the first gospel that I read in its entirety many years ago before I even began to study religion and study theology. 
And I was always taken by how the stories told by the writer of Mark were always, to the point, short. Were not elaborate stories, but they were always clear. There was something about Mark that often intrigued me as I read the Gospel of Mark, that as I began to study the Gospel of Mark, I understood the writer was intentional about this one thing that intrigued me. And it was this, that when you read the Gospel of Mark, if you have read it or read it or choose to read it again, notice this, throughout Mark's Gospel, it always appears as though the disciples are confused by what Jesus says. In Mark's Gospel, the disciples are painted as a group of persons who never really quite get what Jesus is getting at. Yes, they follow to be sure, and yes, they made a decision, but they never really get what Jesus is getting at. When you read Mark's gospel, do it one time, and you'll see this, that Jesus is always explaining. They're always seemingly questioning. They're always doing the seemingly wrong thing because they don't fully get what Jesus was trying to do in this movement. I like it because, well, it probably captures us the best. Those of us who follow, those of us who are seeking to learn and understand the ways of the carpenter, it captures us the best because we don't always get what Jesus is trying to say. In fact, I would go even further that most Christians don't always get what Jesus is trying to say, what Jesus is teaching. We sometimes get lost in so many other things. And, and like the disciples then, much like we are now, we often find ourselves adrift in little confusion when it comes to learning how to follow and serve. Mark 9 is interesting because prior to the scene that I read, Jesus does something that is absolutely confusing to the point that the disciples actually dismiss it. In Mark 9, 30 through 32, Jesus makes it clear that he, under the title of the Son of Man, will be betrayed, offered up, crucified, will be murdered, killed, and will rise again. But in that same verses, it says, but they did not understand what he was talking about. In many ways, Jesus, well, was kind of not so subtly warning them that although they are on this journey and discovering many things, there are some things about this journey that will be seemingly unpleasant. One of them is that if they stick around and bear witness to this movement, they will also have an opportunity to see him killed for the belief in what he was doing. He told them this, but they didn't quite understand. Jesus teaches them this, and then they make their way back to the Galilee, to the region of Capernaum in particular, where Jesus' home was, and they are there with him, sitting. The writer of Mark says that as they're sitting, Jesus noticed that on the journey to Capernaum, after he talked about the fact that he would be killed and offered up and betrayed by even one of them, he asked them a simple question. What were you arguing about on the way here? And then when Jesus raises the question, they were silent. They were silent. It is interesting because none of them answered Jesus' question, which didn't suggest that Jesus actually heard what they were arguing about, and he waited until they got to this point to address it. He knows they were arguing about what it meant to be the greatest among them. 
Now, what is interesting is that this argument takes place after Jesus said that he would be betrayed and killed. And now they are wondering who among us would be greatest, which means that in some ways they truly didn't understand what was required of this journey, the level of sacrifice seemingly unto the point of death. They were clueless that after Jesus tells them that he would be betrayed and he would be killed for the sake of this mission, this message, this ministry, they then now squabble uh, or rather quarrel among themselves, argue among themselves, trying to figure out who would be the greatest or who is the greatest. Now, if you know these disciples, they, they all had little questionable backgrounds on some levels. They had their issues, their struggles. And it's amazing how a little elevation will help you forget some of those issues and struggles that you find yourself dealing with. And now they go from these misfits, this motley crew, marginalized persons. Now they're trying to figure out who among the marginal will be the greatest, who among us will be great. I love how Jesus, or how Eugene Peterson puts it in the Message Bible. Jesus says, so you want to be in first place. You want to be in the front. You want top billing. You want to know who will be the greatest. That issue, I remember years and years ago hearing a sermon by Martin Luther King entitled The Drum Major Instinct, where he addressed this very issue in this very passage, the disciples' desire to be great. It is amazing how in this age, greatness or the idea of greatness is so easily talked about, paraded before us in so many different platforms that we ought to be great. Now, I won't address this issue between good and great as if great is greater than good because good is what God uses when God completed everything. God said everything was good. Somehow we're in this, this deep need to be great. I'm good with good, actually. I learned that in my own journey. That, 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 that is something that we all wrestle with. Greatness is connected to attention, connected to status, connected to our elevation, connected to how we're perceived. That many of us want to be great. We think that our greatness is connected to leaving a mark, and somehow that mark is connected to garnering attention and being celebrated. We all want to be great. We want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be heard. I talked about that in my book. We want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be heard. We want to be great. We want to be celebrated. We want people to recognize us when we walk down the street. Yeah, you think so until you have no anonymity anymore. And, and we want people to see us. We want people to be around. We want people to just glorify us. We want to be great. We want to garner the attention of people. We want to be great. We don't want to just be average. We don't want to be mediocre. This is the thing that we say to ourselves. We want to be seen, known, and heard. We want to be famous. We want to be great. The problem is that although that is a desire that is rampant in our community and rampant in our age right now of social media and people learning how to monetize their platforms and monetize their influence, and we all want to be great. We want to be viewed. We want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be heard. And somehow, if we don't do those things, we feel a little off. If we don't have a certain amount of followers or a certain amount of influence, we think something is off. And the root of it, I think at the heart of it, is this desire to be great, to have status. But here's the thing, that desire to have status, that desire to be seen, that desire to be known, that desire to be heard, that desire to be celebrated, that desire to have all the attention in every room you enter, that desire runs up against what it means to be a disciple. 
that's part of the challenge. See, discipleship runs against this need to be seen, to be known, to be heard. That's the part we don't get. Now, I'm not talking about if you're a member of a church or you go to church on Sunday. I'm talking about if you've decided to be a disciple. What we don't always get is that being a disciple is actually entering a realm that is counter to the cultural norm. It is counter to this desire to be seen, known, and heard. Being a disciple is actually the counter of that. That's why this year is so important, because I want people to fully understand what it means to be a disciple, not what it means to be a member of FCBC. I'm actually not as interested in that, because if you understand your discipleship, everything else falls into place. And so what it means to be someone who makes a commitment to follow the way, the teachings of Jesus, and here Jesus has to teach those who've already made a commitment. You need to hear that because it doesn't mean that when you make a commitment, you fully understand one, or if you make a commitment, you have it all together. That that's part of the journey. You learn, you grow along the journey as a disciple. There's some things you learn, there's some things you realize, there's some things that fall away, some things you gain along this journey. No one said that the minute you declare you want to be a disciple, that all of a sudden you have it figured out. That means then that it's not really a journey, but it is one. It is the one, again, of learning and growing and beginning to realize who you are, seeing your full self. And here Jesus pauses, and here's what the scripture says, Alicia. It says, he sat down. This is teaching mode. He sat down, calls the disciples to him. I can see this scene, and begins to say to them, I understand your need to be great, especially when you're talking to people who've been historically oppressed. I understand your desire to be great, especially when you're talking to people whose insecurity has been at the forefront of their identity. I understand your desire to be great, especially when you're talking to people who their entire lives, they've been overlooked and ignored. I understand your desire to be great, especially when you've witnessed God do amazing things through your leader, through your teacher, and you yourself have experienced that same power. I understand your need to be great, and that's okay. It is fine. It's not really a bad thing, but just make sure your understanding of the mechanisms of greatness are clear. Because the mechanisms of greatness are not connected again to, 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 to being exalted by your peers, to being recognized by the people, to being celebrated by the crowd. That's not the mechanism of greatness. The mechanism of greatness is connected to your desire to serve, period. Period. That your greatness is connected to your service. You see, MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., said it this way. He said, everyone can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, a commitment to lifting others as you climb. That's what it takes to be a servant. In fact, in fact, the purpose of human life, according to Albert Schweitzer, is to serve and to show compassion and a deep will and desire to help 
others. Oh my gosh, I love that. That part of your commitment as a human being is to serve and help others through the lens of compassion. Just imagine if those of us who take our discipleship seriously understand that our greatness is connected to our willingness to serve those who are right in front of us, right around us. And when you serve, you don't worry about, well, they take care of me because it is the understanding and the natural law of reciprocity. When you do for others, others will do for you. That's why your service is necessary. When you decide that you will be a servant, it doesn't mean that you've made a decision to be taken for granted that you've made a decision to be abused. It is saying that you've made a decision to show up in the world a particular way where you lead that way, serving others, thinking about others, and not being overtaken by a sense of selfishness and greed. That is the key to being a disciple. Yes, it's okay to be great. Yes, it's okay to be out front. But make sure that your greatness and your desire to be out front is because you, well, if you want to make it a competition, let's make it this competition. Outserve everybody who's around you and that may be the way you want when was the last time in your talking about greatness you said I outserve everybody I know that I because that's actually not a brag if you think about it you're not talking about your gifts your cat you're saying I outserve I dare anybody around me to outserve me as I take my discipleship seriously let that be the conversation not about who among us has more followers gets more likes People see our posts, got more influence, know how to get paid, know how to monetize our character. No, say that our greatness is connected to our capacity to serve. And I declare that my commitment is to outserve anybody who knows me. That's something to talk about. When was the last time you even thought about the idea and said, I want to be the person on my pew who outserves everybody on this row, that no one on this row will outserve me today. Numerous people have said it, Muhammad Ali, Shirley Trism, that your service is the rent you pay for the space you occupy on this planet. That your service is the rent you pay for the room you have on this planet. That that's what you lose yourself in. Gandhi said, if you want to find yourself, lose yourself serving other people. That you find yourself and your commitment to serve others. When you're a disciple, no one has to beg you to serve. When you're a disciple, no one has to kind of cajole you to volunteer. When you disciple, when you see need, you try to meet need. In fact, the disciple mentality connected to greatness, connected to service, always looks for a moment to serve and finds a moment where you're needed. You shouldn't always depend on people coming up to you and asking you for anything. You should be so cognizant of what's going on that you begin to see the need and then you say, what can I do to fill in the gap that is experienced right in this moment? Oh my gosh, I wrestle with this all the time in leadership. And we say it all the time, past, you know, folk got to be asked and you got to tell folk what you need. I get it. But how about this? How about while I ask, you seek. You seek to see where the need is and meet the need with your gift. And you may say, well, I don't know how to do everything. You don't, but you can learn anything. That means you can show up to the place where your need is needed. Oh, man. Hold on. You missed that. When your need is needed, you didn't catch that. See, I said it too fast. You thought that was a mistake. 
show up at the place where your need is needed. You didn't get that, did you? Where your need, hold on, okay, you have a need. Show up to the place when someone has a need that you have and seek to meet their need and then your need gets met along with their need. So show up where your need is needed. Why? Because you are not the only one in need at that moment. But when you show up in need for those who are in need, your needs get met all together. Because service is not only the key to greatness in the kingdom, but service is the key to also receiving. Oh, gosh. That's why when you commit to serving, you don't always have to worry about needs met. They get met in the process of your service. We miss that. See, this culture would tell us that stinginess and selfishness and greed are the ways you get ahead. That's not kingdom talk. Kingdom talk says the way you get ahead is to serve, lose yourself in service to others. Okay, a few things I'm going to leave you with today about it. When you make a commitment to a life of service, which is simultaneously a life of discipleship, when you make a decision for a life of service, it is, one, I've just said it, an act of rebellion in the selfish and greedy world. It is an act of rebellion. It is a refusal to be shaped by greed and selfishness. You are saying, I am not going to allow myself to be consumed with greed and selfishness. That I will be shaped by service. And I will not let my ego get in the way where I think everyone needs to serve me. But I will serve others. You missed that part? No, you didn't. Because some of our egos are so big that we want everybody to see us, recognize us, and attend to us. But when you walk this walk as a disciple, your service is a rebellion to that attitude. You stand diametrically opposed to those who seem to be driven by greed and selfishness. I hope you hear that, beloved, because I know it is hard in this culture not to fall victim to that trap of being selfish and greedy. But when you make a decision to follow the, the carpenter, you are saying that my service is an act of rebellion against though, that mentality of greed and selfishness. Okay, next. When you seek to serve, it seeks to establish in the midst of a greedy and selfish culture a new order. Oh, man, I hope you get this. You are saying that we do not have to capitulate to the negative, impulsive rhythms of this world, that we are seeking to establish another order connected to the kingdom of God, rooted in service and driven by love. Oh, man, that's what you're saying. You're not just saying, I want to serve. You're saying that I want to create a new order where service is paramount. I want to create a new way of showing up where instead of saying what I have, I declare what I came to give. That I come to show up in a particular way. That's the way of a disciple. I hope you get this, beloved. It is establishing a new order. We prayed the prayer. Jesus taught us a prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is. 
In other words, what we experience here ought to be a reflection of the kingdom of God. You don't wait to die to experience the kingdom. You live to experience the kingdom. And part of experiencing the kingdom is that I am participating in a countercultural movement that is seeking to establish a new order. And not an order based on power, greed, money, materialism, capitalism, selfishness. One based on love, service, and commitment to human life. And, in, and honoring the inherent dignity of every human being. Do you understand that when you live this life, you are actually establishing in this world a new way of being? That's what it means. You see, I get weary and a little nervous when churches start to look like the marketplace. I get a little nervous when we start focusing on being good capitalists and being good materialists and being good consumers. I get a little nervous when I look on social media or TV and see preachers who can be poster children for capitalism and materialism. I get very nervous when I see that. How are you leading people to follow the carpenter when you're letting people feel as though to be effective in who you do, you need to dress like this, have these things, wear these things, look a certain way. You can't really honor the teachings of Jesus by telling people that your value and your worth is connected to what you wear. No, you can't tell people you follow the carpenter when you tell them that they're importance in life is about their consumption not their unselfishness it is a new order of being and you have to understand that I'm not saying that you don't well I'm not saying you need to leave don't need to be a part I'm saying you need to have a what, what Frederick Nietzsche called a transvaluation of values it means that you shift your values that what used to be important get in mind making sure I got mine making sure I get paid now turns into new values I live I love I serve you shift your values to establish a new way of being. Oh my God, I hope this is ascertained because the issue is that when you come to church, it's not about some kind of social event that you mark on your calendar as some networking opportunity. It is saying that I'm coming to a gathering of people who are committed to establishing a new way of showing up in this world. And we call this new way the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God ain't about, well, what clothes you got on in church. Well, who you know in church. No, it's have you come with a heart ready to serve. Well, service is an act of rebellion in a selfish and greedy world. Service seeks to establish well, let's put it this way, a new world order. And then, here's why. Service ought to be easy. And I, and I leave you with this. It ought to be easy because the best servants ought to be those who have a history of receiving. Oh, hold on. I, you missed that. If you have received greatly, you serve greatly. I hope you get it. And the only way you don't serve greatly is if you haven't received greatly. But I know there's a few of us in here who can testify that I have received greatly. In fact, look at your neighbor and tell them, neighbor, 
I am a recipient of the manifold blessings of God. Look at somebody else and tell a neighbor, I receive more than I ever expected. And because I receive greatly, I can give greatly because God has done so much for me. How can I not do so much for somebody else? You see, I learned it this way. Great receivers can be great givers. If we make the choice, you can't sit here today, beloved, and say things like God is more than able, but not believe that you are able to meet needs. This work we do is called God working through us. And why can we work with God working through us because it's already been established that God is with us and if God is with us then God can work through us come on that's that's the responsibility of discipleship God is with me and working through me to bring about what the kingdom Jesus shows up in ministry after his cousin John had been paving the way. His cousin John said, hey, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. And then when Jesus steps out of John's shadow, Jesus says, the kingdom is here. It is here. And I, 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 I was talking to someone yesterday. I was giving a talk at a conference. And sometimes you got to remind believers, not about the kingdom, but the location of the kingdom. I'm not talking about what we hear in church sometimes, grew up thinking we want to go and we going up yonder. We don't realize that the mislocation of the kingdom apart from us is antithetical to Jesus' teaching. When you think the kingdom is away from you, you miss the teaching. Well, not, but see, but see it, is, it is a tradition passed down. It has its deep roots for many of us in slavery. One day you'll get to the sweet by and by. But while you're here, slave. The idea of what we call a theology, this great eschatological hope in heaven. The way we conceive it in Christianity is not rooted in scripture. It's rooted in our socialization through enslavement. So, suffer cruelty here, but one day, we all get together. What a day of rejoicing. But don't rejoice now, because your lot is enslavement. 
put your celebration on pause post death. Now that's offensive to some of you here. Okay, let me, let me come back and help you for a second. Jesus says, when speaking of the kingdom, he said, if it is in the sky, we ought to call it a bird. If it is in the sea, we ought to call it a fish. He said, but the kingdom of God is within you. You didn't even know. That when you walked here this day, you were walking with the kingdom. That when you started speaking, you were talking with the kingdom. That every move you made was in the kingdom, with the kingdom. Why? Because it's right here within me. I don't put off my joy. I want to experience the kingdom right And all the privileges of being part of that right now. Joy unspeakable. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Love that covers me right now in the kingdom. And how do I know I'm part of it? Because my greatness is established by my service. And why do I serve like I do? Because I didn't complain when I received. So I won't complain when I serve. I've received too much to get lazy when it's time to serve. I received too much to disappear when volunteers are needed. I've received too much not to find opportunities to use my gifts. I received too much. Is somebody got to beg me to do anything in the kingdom? No. Sign me up. For whatever is necessary. If it will bring joy in someone else's life. And then let me end with this, beloved. Look what Jesus does and I'll be done. He takes a child. And embraces this child. And he says... That when you can embrace this child the way I have, he said, you're embracing me and the one who sent me. Well, hold on. Hold on. They understood what he was saying. Because children are the most vulnerable in our midst. He says service in part is about the ability to stand with and embrace those who are the most vulnerable among us. Because when you can receive the vulnerable, he says, you are receiving me. And if you receive me, you're receiving the one who sent me. Can you imagine that Jesus here identifies God with the vulnerable? And part of your service then is to help meet the needs of who? The vulnerable. In our midst. That's what we seek to do with our gift. We serve. More importantly, if you're confused about our values here at this place, it's easy. We live, we love, we 
That's what we're called to do. Come on, stand on your feet, beloved. We live, we love, we serve.